listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor David Sinclair. Just want to say the TMT is a two-minute teaching, training, testimony. Um, sometimes we do missions reports or travels. If you have a testimony, we would love to hear that. So you don't need to be like, um, you know, know something about church history. Just give a testimony of what the Lord has done. And obviously our prayer time has become some of that. Please talk to Christina if you'd like to do a teaching on, you know, a church history figure. Or if you'd like to just give a testimony, she'll get you on the schedule. We would love to hear from you. This is a special time for the church congregation to share with one another. But now Brent is going to come and give us a TMT. So the TMT this morning is on a woman named Evelyn Brand. So Evelyn Brand was 68 years old, and she pleaded with her mission board to let her go back to India. It was senseless, they told her. You're just too old. However, years ago, she had made a vow with her husband to reach five mountain ranges to work in four different mountain ranges in India. There were five mountain ranges, but still four needed to be reached. Evelyn was born in 1879 in England, and she felt to, called to go to uh, India as a missionary when she was 30 years old. While there, she fell in love with another missionary named Jesse Brand. They married and they had two children. Now, they faced many challenges and difficulties while they were there. Uh, the uh, villagers in India uh, were resistant to the gospel. Uh, there were Hindu leaders in the villages uh, that blocked their work, blocked their efforts. And when their children began elementary school, they had to leave them in, in England while they returned to India. On top of all that, Jesse died of malaria before they were even close to accomplishing their dream. Now, when Jesse died, Evelyn was forced to remain on the plains in India and could not return in the mountains where it was more isolated. But although she worked many years on the plains, she never let go of that dream to return to the isolated villages in the mountains. And as she neared the age of retirement, her passion for those people in those areas grew instead of diminishing. Finally, the missionary board decided to let her serve one more year as long as she retired after that year. She agreed with them but she did not tell them her plans for after retirement. When she retired, rather than return to England, she stayed in India and went to the mountains on her own. And for 24 more years, she continued the work that Jesse and she had started so many years before. She earned the trust and respect of the villagers and affectionately became known as Granny Brand. She was able to work in each of the five mountain ranges, plus two more, and many people came to know Christ through her. So our lesson for us today is that sometimes God plants a dream in our hearts early in our lives, 
And it takes years to come to fruition. So kids, this is really important. Pay attention this morning, not to me, but to God. What is God saying to you today? What dreams is he planning in your hearts? He has a beautiful plan and and big dreams for each of you. And adults, maybe you have a dream that God has planted in your heart, but you haven't seen any results. Don't give up. Don't be discouraged, but hold on to what God has promised. He may not fulfill the dream in your heart as you expected, but watch the work he's going to do in you and through you. Now Tinley's going to come and read our Bible passage for this morning. Our scripture today is Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You know, as humans, we tend to easily forget the benefits of our current situation, don't we? Of course, this can happen at our jobs where we take for granted the good benefits that we have. There may be health insurance, 401k, flexible schedule, paid time off, those kinds of things. Um, As married people, we can easily overlook the benefits of being married. And as single people, we can easily overlook the benefits of being single. There are real benefits to being both of those. Um... You might even argue there's benefits to living certain places in the country. Uh, How many of you have recognized the benefit of living here in the wintertime where all your perishable goods are of no concern for hours, maybe even days in your car during the winter? That's a real benefit that you can overlook in South Dakota. Or, you know, how about the benefit of all the money we save on sunscreen because we just haven't seen it for months and months Uh, Whereas other people are dropping all kinds of cash on sunscreen. You know, there's real benefits. And of course, I'm joking partly, but we do have some great stuff here in in this great city. We have great health care, great schools. Um, There's great people, I think, uh, tough people. There's, There's lots of things that we can overlook. And that's the point. We have a tendency to overlook, to forget about the great benefits 
that we currently have in our situation. And Lent is a time to remember. Lent's a time to remember all the wonderful benefits of being a Christian. It's a time to fast. It's a time to pray. It's a time to give out of all the goodness that God has given to us. It's a time to prepare our hearts for Easter, where all of our benefits have their origin, right? And I mean, I think it's important, and I hope Life Church does this well, I think it's important to talk about the cost of being a Christian, right? There's a real cost to discipleship. We would never want to sugarcoat that. But I wonder if we don't talk about the benefits enough, the benefits of being a Christian, right? Maybe we just, maybe we talk about the cost too much because it's like if we realize the benefits of being a Christian, it almost makes the cost not worth talking about. It'd be kind of like if, you know, we have great coffee here at Life Church. It's from Cafea. And, um, you know, lots of people come in, they really need their coffee. And let's say we were running low on coffee one day, and you were the last person in line to get the last cup of coffee, and then in walks Elon Musk. And, of course, he's got a caffeine headache. We don't know how he got invited, but he's here, and he wants your cup of coffee really badly. And he's like, that's the last cup of coffee? Uh, What do I got to give you to get that cup of coffee? And he's like, tell you what, I'd do anything for your cup of coffee. I'll give you half my shares of Tesla to get your cup of coffee coffee. And some of you would have to think about it, which is sad. You know, you're that addicted to this, this beverage that you would like, no, nah, I don't know. Uh, I need my cup. You know, I, I can't do without it. But most of you, it'd be a no-brainer. And it's not like years later you're going to go around as a multi-billionaire saying, you know how much I gave up to get half Tesla? You know, you wouldn't talk about it, right? It'd be like, well, of course I'm not going to talk about that. It's, it's hardly worth talking about because look at what you got. And that's kind of the point of today's passage. That's what our passage is aimed at. We're looking at all the benefits you receive of being a Christian. Now, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, like I said, welcome. We're so impressed by you already. Thank you for being here. I don't know what brought you here today, but welcome. Um, I hope that you'll listen and pay attention to what are the real benefits that are offered to you for free in Christ. Yes, there's going to be a cost, but it's hardly worth mentioning when you compare it with all the benefits. For those of us who are Christians, I'll tell you, I think this is really, really important for us as a church. Because if you don't really grasp how much you've benefited from what Christ has done for you, you'll never talk about it winsomely, right? And on the converse, all of you can think of, you know, organizations or services or people that have been very, very beneficial to you. And what do you do? You talk about them easily. They just roll right off your tongue. Right? You, can, you can share about those things that you found benefit in really, really easily. And that's what we want for you by talking about these benefits of being Christian. We want that to translate into easy witness, easily, easily sharing all that Christ has done for you with your friends, with your coworkers, with your circles of influence. Okay? So let's dive into our passage today from Romans 5 and look at these benefits that Paul lists today. Now, first, just a little bit of background on the book of Romans, if you're not familiar with it. Um, In the first century church, there were Jewish and non-Jewish Christians that had all kind of come into the church. Well, at one point, the emperor Claudius, he expelled all the Jews, including Jewish Christians, from the city of Rome. And then five years later, they were allowed to come back. Well, what they came back to was a church that was very non-Jewish in its practice. So they weren't doing things like practicing the Sabbath, circumcision, eating kosher. All those things were very foreign to the Gentile Christians. And so the Jewish Christians came back and they're like, what are you doing? Why aren't you following the laws of Torah? 
And so Paul writes this letter to really unify the church, to really bring them together around the gospel. And he's really wanting the church at Rome to be a staging ground for his missionary work to the West. So in chapters 1 through 4, Paul has—we're in chapter 5 today, obviously. In chapters 1 through 4, Paul's made his case that we are all hopelessly trapped in sin— The only way to get out of that sin is by being justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ. He's saying, like, following perfect adherence to the works of the law, that's not going to do it. You need to be justified by faith in Christ. And by justifying people through faith in Christ, God is bringing together himself a multi-ethnic family of faith that was once promised to Abraham so long ago. So he's tying this whole thing together. In, in the church in Rome, he's saying, this is the picture for you guys, all right? Now, in light of that, in light of Paul talking here about justification by faith, he goes on to list some benefits that we receive upon being justified by our faith in Jesus. Look at verse 1. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have, and then he goes on to list these benefits. So to be justified just means to be made right. It's another way of saying you've become a Christian. Right? You're made right with God through faith in Jesus. And as a Christian, there are four benefits that Paul says are now coming your way automatically. He lists them, first of all, peace, then hope, then joy, and love. And so that's my outline. Peace, hope, joy, love. Those are the benefits we're going to focus on. There are many, many more benefits to being a Christian, but these are some of the big ones that Paul lists here in Romans 5. So first of all, peace. Verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want you to think of a time when you had a falling out or a rift with a close friend, with a family member, maybe with a coworker, or even your boss. What do you remember of the tension of that time? It's pretty awful, isn't it? It's pretty difficult. It kind of hangs a dark cloud over everything else that you do when one of those pivotal relationships isn't right in your life. It kind of steals some of the joy out of all the rest of life. Well, did you know and do you realize that all of us had a very broken relationship with God at one point? In verse 10, Paul says we used to be enemies of God. Now, you might say, well, Pastor Dave, I don't ever remember thinking of God like that. I never considered God to be my enemy. As a matter of fact, you know, I wasn't thinking of God at all. Well, that might be, but James 4 verse 4 says, Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. An enemy of God. So even though you didn't think about it in those terms, just our friendship with the world, just how we used to be engaged in all the things that the world was engaged in, just how we used to go along with all the things that the world did, that puts us at enmity with God. And what a terrifying thing to be an enemy of God, the one who made you and the one who you were made for. It's a big deal. How many of you can remember what that was like before you became a Christian? Just that tension and that distance in your relationship with God. There's nothing worse than that, right? When that foundational relationship isn't right. But Paul says, because you have been justified, because you've been made right by faith, you now have peace with God. So the first benefit of justification, the first benefit of becoming a Christian, is you get a major status change in your relationship with God. It's like you can update Facebook now. There's a status change. And the status has gone from enmity to peace with God. We're made right with God through Jesus, and now we can live confidently 
in that. And I don't know about you, but I found that lots of Christians um, don't live confidently in that, in their status change, in their change that, that now they have peace with God. They actually live based out of their performance and their behavior when it comes to gauging their relationship with God, right? Like if I'm doing well, if I'm being obedient, then I feel like God loves me and we're close and I have peace with God. If I'm struggling, if I'm messing up, then God's, I'm, I'm probably back to enemy status. I don't know where things set, right? But the truth is your status with God, having peace with God, being God's child doesn't change. It's kind of like we, me with my kids. You know, my kids can be more or less obedient. They can be more or less pleasant to be around. They can't be more or less sink ravens. They are sink ravens on their best days and on their worst days. It's just true. It's what's true about them, right? You are not less a child of God when you're battling depression or fear or greed or lust. You're not less of a Christian. Your status before God, you still have peace with God. You're still a child of God. You're a struggling child of God, but you're not less of a child of God. I think that's really, really important. I think if Paul were here, he would say nothing is more important than you getting that concept into your heart and your mind, into every fiber of your being, being confident in that. And as a young Christian, I can remember really struggling with that. It was kind of like, God loves me today because I'm doing well. God loves me not. I'm not doing so well. Right? And it was the back and forth of that. And to be honest, I, I really do still struggle when I sin with how I feel because I, I know that our sin grieves God. Right? We should struggle with that. But now I don't run away from him when I sin. I try to run to him because I know my status hasn't changed. He still loves me. I still have peace with him because it wasn't about anything that I did. It was about what Jesus did. And all of this is really good news for us. Right? That our status before God is not constantly changing. It's not up and down and here and there. It's not like the stock market, you know, up today and down tomorrow. You know, it's, it's just constant and unchanging because it's not based on your performance. That's really good news because we're up and down and all over the place, aren't we? We're anything but stable and consistent. So best not lean on our feelings and our performance when it comes to our status as children of God. We have been given a new status. We have peace with God because of what Jesus did for us, period. That's where our confidence lies. It has nothing to do with us. Peace with God is given to us as a benefit. It's not something we earn by our performance. It's really important. That's the first benefit of being a Christian. You have peace with God. You have this major status change. But secondly, you have hope. Look at verse 2. We have hope. The hope of the glory of God. Now, hope is all about what you expect to be coming to you in the future. And every human alive hopes for something, whether we hope to get in shape, whether we hope to get a new car, whether we hope to retire, whether we hope to get married. All of us hope in something someday. Literally, humans can't live without some form of hope. You lose all your hope, you die. You can't, human beings must have it to live. And thankfully, one of the great benefits of being a Christian is that you're given this new hope that can never be taken from you, right? Paul puts it like this. He says, our hope doesn't put us to shame, or another translation says, it doesn't disappoint us. It's not a hope that can disappoint you like, oh, I had hoped in that, and then it turned out not to be true. It's a real hope. It's a, it's a hope of substance. It's coming. It's guaranteed. And this hope is all wrapped up in the term Paul uses here, the glory of God. Now, what in the world does Paul mean by that? We hope in the glory of God. Well, I can't put it any better than N.T. Wright puts it. 
And this is a long quote, but it's, it's so good, honestly. So I'm just going to read the whole thing. This is a little paragraph he has in his commentary on Romans, and he says this in, in direct comments on this passage. He says, as a result of being justified by faith, we are, in the old phrase, in a state of grace, a status, a position where we're surrounded by God's love and generosity, invited to breathe it in as our native air. As we do so, we realize that this is what we were made for and that this is what truly human existence ought to be like and that it is the beginning of something so big, so massive, so unimaginably beautiful and powerful that we almost burst as we think of it. When we stand there in God's own presence, not trembling but deeply grateful and begin to inhale his goodness, his wisdom, his power, and his joy, we sense we're being invited to go all the way, to become the true reflections of God, the true image bearers that we were made to be. Paul puts it like this, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This is the glory that was lost through idolatry and sin that Paul discusses in Romans 1. When we finally inherit this glory, the whole creation will be set free from corruption and share our newfound freedom, the freedom to be our true selves at last. Oh man, I love that. Don't you love that picture? That we're soaking up the glory of God. That someday, when God comes to be with us forever, we will soak up his glory, his radiance, his joy, his wisdom, his life. We'll be soaking it up, and we will become finally our true selves, who God made us to be. So God's glory will transform us into these bright, radiant, amazing creatures. Listen how Paul puts this in Romans chapter 8. It says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Realize the whole creation is on edge saying, We can't wait to see you when you are what you are made to be. It's like cheering you on. See that? Paul's saying here, you should be rejoicing in this hope that you have that one day you're going to experience God's glory, and even now he is beginning the process of making you this bright, incredibly radiant creature that you were meant to be. The final product of which, if you saw, it would terrify you, honestly. If you could see yourself, the person that God, the, the bright, amazing person that God made you to be, you would be terrified of that vision of your life. And nobody put it better or more memorable than C.S. Lewis dealing with this very issue. He says in Mere Christianity, he will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into a god or goddess, a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature pulsating all through which such joy and energy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine a bright, stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though, of course, on a smaller scale, his own boundless power and delight and goodness. The process will be long and in parts very painful, but that is what we are in for, nothing less. He meant what he said. What, inc- what an incredible benefit of being a Christian, right? You have this incredible hope of the glory of God that you're going to get to experience that, but also that that glory is going to transform you into someone you always dreamed, maybe even never dared dream that you could be, the person that God made you to be. An incredible, 
glorious, bright, radiant future. That's the hope up ahead for you. So, first of all, we have peace with God. That's benefit number one. We have hope in a radiant future, the second benefit. And thirdly, joy. This is verses 2 through 5 and verse 11. I'm going to be referencing there. The third major benefit we see here is joy. Now, the joy that Paul is talking about here is specifically in three things. And the first thing we see is that we have joy in the hope up ahead for the glory of God. Now, you see how all these things, all these benefits of Christianity are related. Um, They're virtues of Christianity, even part of the fruit of the Spirit. They're all interconnected in such a way that you can't have one without the other. That's what Jonathan Edwards taught about them. Um, Like, our hope is dependent on our joy and our peace, right? Our hope is actually, or our joy is actually fueled by our hope. It's fueled by our vision of the future. They all depend on one another. And you all know what this is like. Do you ever, do you ever think of something, you know, something fun or something that you're really looking forward to in your schedule? Maybe it's a getaway, a vacation, time away with a best friend, time away with your spouse, something you're going to do with your kids. And just thinking about it now, even though it's not here yet, but thinking about it now gives you joy in the present moment. You have that? We all have that. That's why we like to put things on our schedule as soon as possible. It gives us something to look forward to. It gives us just a little bit of hope, and therefore it fuels our joy. Well, that's what Christians are doing all the time. Their future fuels their joy in the present. They think about God's good future for them often. They actually work hard to discipline themselves to be a future-oriented people because their hope in the future fuels their joy now. We know it's incredibly bright up ahead. There's nothing that can stop that from coming. So it gives us joy in the present moment. So we rejoice in the future that God has for us. That's the first part of the third benefit of joy. But secondly, verse 3 says, we, have, we rejoice even in our sufferings. Now, I don't know about you, but this is like Sesame Street. Which one doesn't belong? This one doesn't belong, right? Out of the other things that are in here, it's like, how do we have joy even in our suffering? This one doesn't belong. This one shouldn't be in here, right? It doesn't fit with the other ones. Isn't that an odd pairing? G.K. Chesterton said, Jesus promised the disciples three things, that they would be completely fearless, absurdly happy, and in constant trouble. Isn't that interesting? That's a weird pairing. Isn't it weird when you read the Gospels that those are the things that we see? There's, There's joy There's happiness and there's constant trouble. How does that work? Well, this is unique to Christian joy because our joy is not dependent on a circumstance. It's in a person, right? It's in our hope, which is our future that's locked away for us up ahead. So therefore, it can coexist with suffering. But I want you to notice here what Paul says. We don't rejoice about our sufferings as if we're some sort of weird masochistic group that just loves pain and suffering. No, that's not what Paul's saying here at all. Rather, we rejoice in the midst of our sufferings. So taken by itself, it can be a little bit hard to make sense of in this passage, but given the last point about our hope in the glory of God, that we rejoice in that, well, that makes sense then, because one day we're going to drink in the glory of God, and even ourselves, we're going to become these bright, radiant, magnificent creatures that he meant us to be. Well, no wonder then Paul can speak of celebrating in the midst of sufferings, right? Because then they are, our sufferings, as N.T. Wright puts it, are just the necessary path through which we travel as we share the Father's work in this still corrupt world. So we're on mission with the Father, and we're going to go through things in this corrupt world. 
But from this vantage point, suffering in the life of the believer only serves to make them brighter, only serves to make them stronger, um, tougher, more radiant, and more brilliant. The Greek word here for suffering literally means pressure. And we all know that a diamond is formed by a lump of coal being placed under a great deal of pressure, extreme pressure. That's what Paul's saying here. The images of God taking you and putting you in his gym, right? Putting you under, under some pressure, putting you through the paces. And on that note, how many of you actually like working out? You can be honest. Angela, of course, Angela does. She's running like 100 miles every other day. I work out sometimes, but I don't like it a lot of times. Like if there was a pill so you could just stay fit and never work out again, I would take it. If it was good for you, I would just take the pill. I mean, just, just cut that out. Sometimes working out is enjoyable, but most of the time it's actually painful, right? Your lungs burn, your heart pounds, your muscles ache. It's painful. Why would you want to go through that? Day in and day out. It's going to be really hard to get up the motivation to do it. Now, let's say that you have this goal. And you say, all right, it's March. I want to have a six-pack by summer. All right? You want to get the beach body. Um, and so you're like, uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to go through this rigorous training. I'm going to do abs every day or whatever your trainer says you should do. And you get this vision. You want to be this magnificent version of yourself physically. Well, then i got to ask you, how do you feel after day in and day out, you're working your core and your abs just ache and they're sore? How do you feel about that pain? You actually feel kind of good about it. Because you're like, I'm getting somewhere, right? It's, it's helping to move you towards this uh, six-pack flaunting, magnificent version of yourself that you have in your head right? And that's exactly the same with Christians, except for we're not concerned with external appearances. We're trying to grow and change internally to be more like Christ. So the pain is actually getting us somewhere, is Paul's point here, right? If we know that one day we're going to be these marvelous creatures that are like Christ, we know, well, we have a lot of changing to do, right? And pain and suffering can be one of the things that God uses to produce change. Look at how Paul puts it here. He says, sufferings produce perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. So we can have joy in our sufferings because they move us closer to that end goal of what we will be for all eternity. They're not pointless. They're getting us somewhere, right? It's like your abs aching. It's like, ah, feels kind of good in some weird way. All right, that's the second thing. We have joy in the midst of our sufferings because they're not pointless. They're actually getting us somewhere in the midst of God's journey to make us like himself. And then thirdly, we have joy in God himself. Verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So let's not miss this benefit. We have joy, most of all, in the fact that we've been reconciled to God. Now, reconciled is a different word than justified. Justified just means to be made right. It's like a legal courtroom type of word. But reconciled means to bring two parties that were once distanced back together to restore that original relationship. And friends, this is what your heart has longed for since day one. This is what all of us have been searching for since we lost Eden, is that right relationship with God where we hear his voice and we walk with him in the cool of the day. This is what we've all been longing for. After all, in himself exists all the joy the world has ever known. So being brought back into right relationship with him, we get to share in the joy that he has. And finally, we're fulfilling our created purpose. Question answer number one of the Westminster Catechism puts it like this. It says, what is the chief end of man? In other words, what are we here for? 
what's our purpose? What's our point? It says to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is plain and simple what you were made for. And that's what Paul is saying here. You get to enter into that purpose finally. You get to enjoy the one that you were made for. So that's the third benefit. So we have peace with God. We have hope in a radiant future. We have joy in three things. And then finally, we have love. We have love. We, uh, we've saved this last one for last. Paul saves this last one for last. And this is the interesting one because this is one of the benefits that you receive. You actually start receiving it before you become a Christian, right? Um, but the, the weird thing is you, you don't realize that you were receiving it until you become a Christian. It's one of those things that you kind of look back and you're like, oh, God was loving me back there. But I didn't realize it. I didn't recognize it until I had kind of walked through the door. Look at verse 8. It says, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. See, friends, it wasn't after you looked like a really promising prospect that Jesus was like, I'm going to die for that one. It wasn't after you like cleaned yourself up and made yourself worthy of his love that he's like, okay, now I feel confident of giving my life for this person. No, it was while you were still busy sinning. It was while you were still far away from God. It's while you were still an enemy of God that Christ said, I'm going to lay down my life for them. I'm going to die for them. And I mean, just look at this. Is there anything more powerful that he could do to demonstrate his love for you? You know, a lot of times we gauge if someone loves us based on what they're willing to do for us. We often tell our kids, I would die for you. And they often say, well, you never do it. Um, you know, but, but it's like, what are you willing, what are you willing to do for someone? That, that tells you how much they love you. And look at this. Jesus would stop at nothing. He died for you while you were yet a sinner. And if you will get this truth into your minds, just how loved you are, it will transform and change everything about your life. Literally everything. This is what the Apostle Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus. He said in Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to grasp with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Like if you could just grasp it, if you could just barely be able to get a hold of a taste of how much Jesus loves you, it would change everything about you. It would change everything about your life. See, friends, love people are secure people. Love people are dangerous people in the kingdom. Satan is terrified of a person that knows how much they are loved by Jesus. Um, love people are happy people. Have you ever noticed how, how love people are comfortable in their own skin? They're just, they're just themselves, the people that are confident that they're loved. They're just the, the most free people. They're just the most comfortable being in their own skin. That's what God wants for you. The only way to get to where he has, to get to where he wants you to be is by receiving his love first, letting that settle all your insecurities, letting that free you from all the things that have hindered you. I love what Martin Luther says. He says, God's love does not love that which is worthy of being loved, but it creates that which is worthy of being loved. It does not love that which is worthy of being loved, but it creates that which is worthy of being loved. So his love starts off when you're not worthy of it at all. 
And as you realize you're loved, you begin to be transformed into the very creature that God made you to be. Friends, if you've never received this love or any of these benefits, we'd invite you today to come First and foremost, to receive the love of Christ. There are going to be people up here to pray with you. We would love to introduce you to the life, the benefits of being a Christian. For the rest of us here, I would just ask that during Lent, you spend some time meditating on all the benefits that you've received from Christ. Spend some time reflecting on Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, life church, and forget not all his benefits. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for all the things that you've given us that we don't deserve. None of them we deserve, but you give them so freely. We pray that you would help us this Lent to remember, to focus in on them, um, to joyfully share those benefits with others. We love you, and we trust you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.